This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. And welcome back to another exciting episode and a really exciting series of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Peterson, and this is also your host, Eric Branson. Eric, how's it going? Good. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Video Junkyard Podcast. And I have a feeling that Joe is a little bit excited about the topic of our films for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, um... Excited. That's one way of wording this. Yeah, so to the, the <laughs> series that we're going to be doing uh, for the next few weeks is dinosaur films. Uh, most specifically dinosaur films that are not a part of the Jurassic Park franchise. Um, this is something that actually we, we've been kicking around for doing for a little bit uh, of time now uh, on the show. You know, it's actually something I know among my professional like paleo colleagues and stuff, this is a bit of a complaint, is we need new dinosaur films that are not Jurassic Park. Those are fun, but we need something new and fresh. So we thought it'd be fun on the podcast to go back to what were some dinosaur movies before Jurassic Park, and I don't know, maybe it'll give us a new appreciation for uh, the Jurassic Park films. <laughs> but right. uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to do this show. I think this will be a fun one. And I'm going to do my very, very best to avoid judging anything based on scientific content or severe lack thereof i'm taking off my paleontologist hat the best that i can (laughs) for this that was going to be my one of my comments is how difficult is it for you to separate from your professional um you know your uh, paleontologist hat versus just your um film viewer it's it, it it depends so i think i have a i have a boundary depending on the film you know, so for mm-hmm. like the movies that we're gonna watch here, uh, first of all, I think the fact that they're older and arguably, you know, they're dated, I think that helps a bit. Um, yeah. I think I, and even with the Jurassic Park films, I'm I'm pretty cool with it. Uh, a couple years ago, I was actually uh, out for dinner with a colleague in Chicago, this uh, paleontologist named Roy Plotnick, and the the Disney dinosaur movie, The Good Dinosaur, was coming out soon, and they had it on a TV in the bar restaurant. They had a, a commercial came on for it, and some of his students were complaining about how terrible it looked, and you know how they got all this stuff wrong. And Roy yells out, "Dinosaurs are talking in a movie. You can't criticize any scientific merit if you are willing to accept that dinosaurs are talking in a movie." And actually, he went on this rant about how it <laughs> that's applicable. He actually brought up the brave little toaster. He's like. You can't complain about anything being you know, suspension of disbelief in a movie when you're willing to accept a talking toaster. And so yep. that's kind of my approach to especially the Jurassic Park films for being completely that inaccurate. You has know. always been my criticism of that criticism. And I, yeah. my mother's famous for it. And this is going to go outside their own dinosaur movies. But her thing about like pretty much every movie I ever liked is she would always be like, well, it's just not believable. Or, you know, oh, I'm, I'm sure that's so far-fetched I, I don't buy it. And her suspension of disbelief is... Very, very small. She's not willing to give a whole lot to suspension of disbelief. So, yeah, um, and and I think, but and that was, uh, 
always the 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 comment she would make and that's my criticism of that comment is like you're you're willing to give suspension of disbelief just to sit down and watch a movie you know you're aware you're watching actors and this and that and so at that point you're you got to give it a little bit more than that so i i agree uh to to be fair though to the other side with with jurassic park films especially this will be the only time we'll really talk about jurassic park tonight i think well didn't Um, they kind of push or market that like this is this is scientifically accurate. Like, this is plausible in some way. The, like, the first one, especially. The first one yeah. was really groundbreaking for the fact that, I mean, that was the. Velociraptor was not a household name until Jurassic Park. And that was the right. first time that they showed dinosaurs on the screen the way that paleontologists, for the most part, not entirely, but for the most part, thought that they looked in the early 90s. So that was the most historically accurate film at the time. Now today, we'd go back and we'd say, well, everything would have feathers for the most part, and there's a number of things that are are different, the way hands are positioned, and some anatomical things would be very, very different. And so, but still, it it did a great job to actually, as science outreach, it wasn't meant to be a documentary, but it was a great opportunity to take something that was pop culture and actually teach people about it. And if you take a little kid to a museum they're naming off all the scientific facts and the parents are just kind of standing there dumbfounded and a lot of that's because of the Jurassic Park movies. Now the sequels didn't keep that going at all. Yeah. And So you, you would argue that there's a standard that was upheld in the first movie that wasn't maintained by the sequels. It's... Oh absolutely and I'll be honest Jurassic Fallen, World Fallen Kingdom um, is one of the worst. I mean there's it, it, Scientifically. It, oh god. Yeah, yeah. Because I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's the worst um, as of just entertainment value. But oh, it was entertaining. Uh, from a scientific perspective, it, it took the most liberties, let's put it that way. Um, however, so, I... Look, I, I, as, long, as long as there's a big-budget dinosaur movie that comes out in theaters every few years, museums are going to see a bump in, in attendance and people going to museums. Kids are still going to be interested. It's a shame that we can't update the science. I don't see why we really can't, unless filmmakers are just that adamant on keeping things canon. Like, we can't have velociraptors with feathers, even though we know they had them, um, because the first movie didn't have them. Eh, I don't know yeah. if I really... That's a good argument, but I, now, I see... I mean, and I that's see the, probably where they're coming yeah. from. And but. I see the frustration of my colleagues when they're like, you know, oh, God, why, why do they have to keep making getting this wrong? And yeah. and I agree because it's a missed opportunity. It's a it's a tremendously big missed Cause, opportunity. Because there's what what those of us that are well parents, I'm sure teachers talk about mm-hmm. this as well. But uh, like teachable moments, right? Like that's absolutely, a, that's absolutely a and situation it, where you have um, you have the youth or you have the attention of people, and you have an opportunity when you're distracting them with all the, you know the big special effects, the animatronics, the CGI the fun of a movie um a fast-paced action movie you have an opportunity to slip in some science there and yes. actually yes. teach them a thing or two and when people don't take that opportunity I, I will say in concept that's that's very disappointing it is it is and and it's something that uh, that has bugged me and, and many others uh, over the years that we get more of these huge budget jurassic films and they do have professional paleontologists on as technical advisors but their word doesn't necessarily isn't going to necessarily sway you know what what the filmmakers think is going to be a good shot you know but at the same time though i also have to remind myself well you know we can't clone dinosaurs either so if i'm willing to accept that we can do that thing that's damn near magic then i guess i can i'm willing to suspend my disbelief on other things but gosh it'd be nice if if it'd be nice if the cloning the dinosaur thing was the only 
scientifically inaccurate part. Yeah. And then so I also let's... have to wonder: do do physicists have the same problem when they watch Star Wars? I don't know. Maybe they do. But oh, I'm sure yeah. they do. In fact, I've I've read some of it. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they. Uh, so let's let's get off of the Jurassic Park wagon because we promised not to yep. spend too yep. much time yep. there. Um, and I'll let you introduce the dinosaur film that we did watch for this week's episode. Sure. Um, so I, I think you know this the first one that we're going to bring up here. Maybe we're actually kind of also uh, you know breaking one of our own rules because Video Junkyard, of course, are mostly forgotten films or films that have slipped through the cracks. And this one clearly has not slipped through the cracks because if, but it's an older one. That's why we're doing it. Uh, because if you were interested in dinosaurs as a kid and it wasn't Jurassic Park, it was probably this, and that is the 1988 animated adventure drama, The Land Before Time. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg present a Don Bluth film, The Land Before Time. Long ago, when the earth was new, five friends lost and alone Mother, took an incredible journey you want to go with me? Yeah. through a land of wonder and a land of danger. From the creators of an American tale comes a story of friendship. Do not stop! We must stay together! Courage. Oh, you can't quit now. What if the Great Valley is just over the top of these rocks? And laughter. <laughs> From Universal Pictures. Some things you see with your eyes. Others you see with your heart. A new adventure is born. The Land Before Time. Yes. And, and see, this one is, I think it fits in because it's such a nostalgia piece for people our it age. It is, yeah. Like, I, this is possibly, and I don't remember if it was this or Oliver and Company, the Disney film, um, this is possibly the first movie I remember seeing in movie theaters. Like, I, I can oh, wow. vividly remember, like, sitting in the dark in the movie theater and actually seeing it. Um, I also remember seeing Oliver and Company, and I found out in doing my research for this that those actually came out on the same day of the same year. So oh, this, wow. these memories had to have been sometime very close to one another. So we're talking within, a, you know, don't remember how long movies played back then, but within a month or so. <laughs> yeah, well, they, those two movies. They so I'm not sure which one was first. I don't I mean, remember. Films definitely played longer back then than they do but, now in theaters for the most part. And um, yeah, yeah, I remember films playing, you know, a good five or six months when they were very popular. I mean, Jurassic yeah. Park played a calendar year. Yeah. Not to yeah. bring that one up again, but oh, yeah. I remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I think um, it's also interesting. I didn't know that about Oliver and Company coming out the same time that this one did um, same day. That's kind of rare as well to have two fairly big budget animated films. I mean, this was a Spielberg movie, right? It's produced yep. by Spielberg, George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall. It's directed yep. by Don Bluth. These are all big names in family films and animation. And then Oliver and Company, a Disney film coming out 
same day. It's like today that well, would and, be and shocking. Correct me if I'm wrong or if you know otherwise, but did Don Bluth had a bit of a bone to pick with Disney, I believe. Oh yeah. And he uh, I don't know, fired, but like was he worked with them for a very long period of time and, and he did. He did ceased working with them, I think. Uh, he did um uh, the movie Fox and the Hound. He did a number of other films in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, with Disney. I believe he also did the Black Cauldron, which is a Disney film that, wow, that one seems to have been made for the video junkyard because that's yeah. that, that'd be a whole other episode about. Remember I, when when kids movies were dark as hell? Yeah, remember the Black yeah, I Cauldron? Would like to, <laughs> I need to actually see that movie. I've never actually seen it, but yeah. So, but Land Before Time, I, I'm I'm gonna be honest right out the gate on this one that I have never been a fan of this movie. Even see, I am, this is before I even Jurassic Park came out. So this was before that, and that's what got me into dinosaurs. But this, mm-hmm. I liked dinosaurs like most kids. Land Before Time came out, and maybe it was some neighbors that lived in our neighborhood that just kind of burned me out on it or whatever. But I yeah. never was a big fan of this one. And see, I'm polar opposite because I was a gigantic fan of this movie. Watched it a hundred times probably and, you know, um, collected all the little hand puppets that they had at Pizza Hut. All the, the Pizza Hut puppets, and, uh, yes. I remember you know, those. It, it, I think I had all of them, all the, all the characters at one point. Um, it's like the I number one thing. I just ran into the, the ducky hand puppet in my parents' basement not that long ago. It is it is since been donated somewhere well, but, I, it's so funny, I still it's like, had that up until just a few months ago but I, I think that's like the quintessential thing when you walk into a flea market or an antique shop or something and they always got like old nostalgic toys there's always a shitload of the Land Before Time hand puppets from, from Pizza yeah. Hut it's, it's kind of a go to thing that and, and the when Hardee's used to give out the little California raisin figures in their kids <laughs> meals yeah. it's like those are the two and maybe the Disney Muppet Baby toys that they used to give out in Happy Meals. Oh, man. Yeah, I still got a couple of those around somewhere, too. You know, but this is... Yeah, but this was a huge film. Um, I I remember that the marketing was everywhere for it. I remember, Mm -hmm. you know, this wasn't really really toys, necessarily, but yeah, there were the hand puppets, and I remember the stuffed animals, and I remember God, Littlefoot was on everything. Um, And, And you know, and I'm sure we're going to we're going to differ on this one, which is which is unique for our podcast so mm-hmm. far. But um, even on, even on a rewatch, it's not. I didn't love love it. Um, I actually found out a lot of interesting things about it that kind of explain some of my problems, and we'll get a little deeper into things. But I gotta say, I still think it's pretty good, classic kind of animated family film fare. Uh, I, th- I like the way that it very um, kind of. I don't know what the right word is, but it very delicately deals with um, death. And yeah, I, I like the way the, the film opens. I think it's got some really serious second act act problems, as in there isn't really one. Right. <laughs> but, um, it, it, yeah, I've rewatched There's some really it. great stuff yeah. going on. Like that, that kind of reminds me of kind of the classic era of Disney. And, and supposedly Steven Spielberg, the entire brainchild of this movie came from Spielberg in a meeting with Don Bluth after they had done an American tale together of what their follow-up was going to be. And Steven Spielberg basically pitched it to Don Bluth as he wanted to do Bambi with dinosaurs. And yeah, that's, and that's essentially what they've done that's here. pretty it's, much what it is. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, the whole way that they handled death, yeah, it's very Bambi and it's uh, mm-hmm. not surprising, I guess that, that 
this movie and people are like, oh, so my first introduction to death as a child was watching Land Before Time when Littlefoot's mom yeah. dies. Well, and I, I guess the thing um, that I was trying to say about the the dealing with death is that it doesn't like tiptoe around the issue. Like it pretty it hits it hits it straight on the head and it's not a super adult like the whole movie is not about you know Littlefoot coping with his grief but at the same time yeah. <laughs> it is kind of about that like it's yeah. you know getting up moving on getting uh i also think there's a really strong element of cooperation that is uh, like a really it, it doesn't it doesn't have to hit you over the head with a, a hammer with it but it's a very very neat theme of the all the groups of dinosaurs they don't like each other because they're different but they all have to work together to achieve you know oh yeah so it's really good kid stuff well it's it's Um, kind of you know coming off of don bluth doing things like fox and the hound which essentially had that same moral lesson right in fact a little bit more powerful i would say than in Mm -hmm. this one you know in that one it's it's essentially saying nobody's born racist you it's 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 bred into you as you grow um which is a i've I've rewatched that a couple years ago and never realized when I was a kid how actually really disturbing that movie is, uh, but very mm-hmm. poignant. This one does a little bit more of a lighter version. Um, and I think, so I, I'll be honest, I rewatched it for the podcast, and then I rewatched it again with my four-year-old son. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll say that there are there's some of the animation scenes in this that I actually have to admit that I, I kind of like. And a lot of it's with the the sauropods, the long necks. Okay, those are yeah. called sauropods. Um, big <laughs> long neck dinosaurs like Brontosaurus and Apatosaurus and Diplodocus and stuff. Um, I I actually really like that. Those are a group that I really like that I've worked on, and um, it's it's neat to see something that large move, even if it's hand drawn animation or computer animation in a bigger budget, more modern film. It's really cool to see something that large move. But one thing that struck me with a film like this is that the scale of the animals is very hard to keep consistent i've yeah, noticed i noticed that as well um because i think there's no human character in it which is totally fine i think one of the cool things about this movie is there aren't human characters it's yeah. dinosaurs um but that's well, a little you bit know initially and it changes and a bit initially that spielberg wanted this to be a no dialogue film Mm. Uh, wanted the story to unfold without you know using voiceover and dialogue and sometime in development they decided not to and, and cast child actors to to play the roles um, and act and wrote dialogue but so they had initially written a script or a story um, with the ambition to do this film without dialogue just with natural sound that, that would have been incredible <laughs> and you know what more recently a, a, the carbon copy has happened there was a, a walking with dinosaurs movie that came out oh yes yep. a couple years ago beautifully animated um the, the 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 way they portrayed everything was very very well done the original version didn't have any voiceovers and you don't see mouths flapping when they talk um it's all it's kind of strange it's almost more like they did in you know homewood bomb the incredible journey or milo and otis where it's just actors voice actors talking over what's going on um yeah and you've got John Leguizamo as a really annoying character, and it, it, it's just not Justin Long does the voice of the main character, and it just it, it's obnoxious. I guess if you buy the, the Blu-ray version or one of the more expensive packs for that particular film, you can watch the version without the dialogue, where it's just hmm. sound effects. And 
I haven't seen it. I've watched the movie on mute, and it's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> Um, say, you could always yeah fake that and but with you know the, the sound effects and the roars and everything are really cool so and the music and, and, and such, yeah there is good music and you know it, and that's it's very well done I really would have loved to seen how a film like this back in the eighties was you know could have been done like that I think that would have been really incredible but you know at the same time it's a kids movie so I see the appeal also of having kid voices for all these characters because it's going to draw the kids in more and. You know, I, I think though, if I have to admit that I've one of the turnoff points for me when I've always watched this has been the fact that it's Don Bluth. I'm not a yeah. big Don Bluth fan. I know I mentioned Black Cauldron's cool, and I've kind of sounded like I was praising Fox and the Hound as a good movie, but I've never really liked. I I don't like American Tale. I just it's the the animation style, and there's a particular level of corniness that even as a kid I just couldn't do. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, I'm trying to give these another shot. So I actually watched this one twice and I'm starting to appreciate it for what it is and kind of shed those old views that I don't even know where they come from. You know, like maybe yeah. as a kid, I didn't like Don Blue stuff because it just wasn't Disney and Disney was like the gold yeah. standard. I mean, and there's so I don't know. There's some truth maybe, to that, especially at the time they were trying to, because he had been such a strong influence uh, in the like, I think the late seventies, mm -hmm. uh, I think they were trying to distance themselves from, his style and oh, yeah. he was trying to distance himself from their their kind of like concepts and um yeah so he was trying to do stuff that was a little different and um i think his first couple of films were were generally said to be pretty good i haven't seen an american tale since i was a child so i i loved that when i was a child mm -hmm. i don't know what i would think about it now i haven't revisited it i have no plans to revisit it at the moment <laughs> yeah um, i mean i'll, I'll give yeah, don bluth this for his films like american tale like land before time and you know a number of others he he was a he was dealing with some things that well god see i can't even say i don't even like don bluth films altogether because one of my favorite cartoons as a kid was secret of nim mm -hmm. and i've gone back and watched that one again recently and that's still an awesome movie i mean again some of the voice work and i don't the animation style gets kind of weird but it's a it's, it's a great story anyway it's a great book anyway um so maybe it's just i don't know there was something about some of his later work i just couldn't i never liked all dogs go to heaven and shit like that yeah i don't remember those being my any of my favorites either but these these early couple um and maybe that has more to do with you know steven spielberg's influence or uh yeah i think this was the only one that george lucas was involved in with mm -hmm. as well which i believe his only like major contribution at least according to wikipedia that he gets majorly credited for supposedly it was george lucas's idea to have the triceratops um sarah in the film be a female character they were all written as male characters in the script in fact her character design was done when she was still technically a male character hmm. and george lucas thought it was very important that they have a female character oh, that's cool main character in the movie so um well, they, they, that's uh, a great, great, yeah. great little contribution. I think it, it, again, it just made the dynamic between the characters and the lessons that they learn about cooperation and working together and not judging, you know, people because they're different, makes all that even that much stronger that they worked a, well, a and female I think, character in there. I think it's also great that, that these, you know, we've got five little baby dinosaurs and you know they're different mm -hmm. species so you have the element of we're all different but we have to work together but also they're they're very different personality types i think um it, it was i i have no evidence that this was done but gosh it almost feels like this thing went through like a 
uh, a focus group to be like we need the kid character that's the little that Littlefoot is. We need the one that Petrie is, the one that Ducky is, that Spike is, and that Sarah is, because they're yeah. all so drastic, but also very common child personalities. You've got Sarah, who's very you know she does whatever her parents respond like. Your dad says you know three horns don't play with long necks, and she just repeats that mantra with that gusto, you know. Um, yep. And it's it's. I think as a kid, I was like, she's mean, you know, but but no, it's like, yeah, she's, that's a very common trait you see in kids. It's that independence, yet at the same time, it's trying to emulate your parents, and you've got kind of Littlefoot, of course, is the one who's a little, you know, he's kind of just taking this all in and and trying to, you know. He's got a natural kind of curiosity about Mm -hmm. him. Yeah, you know, he's got the, the Petrie thing who is... You know, he's the trying to fly, and he's a cute character. I mean, they're all cute characters, and I think yep. the only one as a kid I just was like, "What's his deal?" Is Spike? I never yeah. understood Spike. He's like, okay, just hatch it. But we all a knew tucker. a kid like Spike too, right? Like, there, yeah, was, right. <laughs> there was always the yeah. I mean, and, but, and Ducky is just so friggin' cute. It's yeah, it hurts my. I mean, teeth, I think it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think it certainly deals in cliches, and I think I think you know, broad strokes, family entertainment. Um, does that and, and and not to its detriment always like it sometimes works really well to work with cliches because it gives everyone you know the general audience children adults alike it gives them a um, kind of a jumping off point where they they can walk into something that they maybe don't understand like dinosaurs in the prehistoric era and um, you have these kind of familiar personality types in a familiar situation um that you're dealing with and it, it does it, it it uses you know um, dinosaurs to teach some very human lessons and mm-hmm. you know that's about coping with grief and, and getting past like dark points in your life and also um you know cooperation and not not judging people for for what they look like or where they come from um or their mm-hmm. families you know but yeah. and and that each person is is different and brings their own set of talents to you know that cooperation gets you to the great valley in the end so yeah <laughs> um, it's, so it's yeah, a great that, little pair for that reason you know? i think it's a it's a really great now narratively i have some issues with it and that is that i think it's got a really great first act um it's it's just as heartbreaking as in as in bambi when littlefoot's mother dies at the you know kind of at the hand of the sharp tooth which is the i believe a tyrannosaurus rex i correct yep. me if i'm wrong yep. but um a, a large theropod of some sort um but the um, so the first act is incredible essentially it, it, and I feel like the second act just kind of disappears like I know it's about the the character building it just um, it seems to happen really rapidly uh, the early part of the second act is good you kind of get an introduction to each character they're kind of butting heads they start their journey their journey kind of goes nowhere except they're running and hiding from sharp tooth all of a sudden they get an opportunity and and deal with him and then boom they're at the great valley like it seems like yeah act two is missing from the movie then i'm reading wikipedia today mm-hmm. kind of checking out the history of this movie and kind of everything about it and find out that don bluth actually um there was something like 18 minutes removed from this film wow. at the request of amblin entertainment or steven spielberg and kathleen kennedy because they felt that it was far too frightening for the, their target audience. They wanted a G rating, and they had to remove almost 18 minutes of footage, mostly from the middle portion of the film, that um, 
because due to the fact that it supposedly was too scary and too violent for that's um, significant children. as hell. I mean, that, that that is a lot of stuff gone. And now I yeah. get it. Like after I read that, I went, okay, well, that's why I don't like the middle section of that movie is because it's chopped. Oh, I <laughs> like, mean, they, there, there was supposed yeah. to be a bunch of stuff that happened there. And, All five uh, of these characters not. come together in about a minute and a half. Yeah, and you know, and it's so like literally, Littlefoot meets Ducky, and within a few seconds, you you meet Petrie, and yep. it's it's like so. There's no and then and then Spike no and then it's like yeah, boom, and then boom, Spike. Boom. It's just it, there's no bonding in how. I mean, like, I think they do an okay job. It, it, there's enough there that you get the point. You know, you get um, you know we have to cooperate. We have to learn to we learn to like each other. We see we see each person's individual strengths, and they all go together, and we we accomplish our goal, and we. We're able to defeat Sharp Tooth and get to the Great Valley, right. and everything is wonderful. Well, and I think but, there's, um, there seems to be that maybe it's just a challenge with editing when you're doing a film where you're introducing like an ensemble cast, you know, or an ensemble group yeah. of characters like this. Because I, I noticed the same thing, and maybe it's, and I'm sure it's an editing thing as well. With um, and wow, is this a weird mashup for talking about movies? But uh, in the most recent version of It, Part One, yeah. Um, the way that the Losers Club is introduced, it's like we're really going to focus on these two characters meeting and how they bond, and then these next characters and how they bond, and then uh, I'll just throw the rest in there. And yeah. it, it's a little jarring. Um, I feel like a lot of times when you have a large group of main characters or quote unquote main characters, they do they do kind of lump them all together. So yeah, um, it's just not very good pacing. Um, I yeah, will say so. That I think you, that explains a lot of what what my yeah. issues were with the second act of the movie, and. Um, well, you know what, yeah, you bring up gonna... a good point, and that, that does explain a lot, because in the beginning, they're talking about how the getting to the Great Valley is this long journey, and, and the mom tells them about a couple of, you know, markers along the way, and then it's a long way from there, and a long way from there, and it seems yeah. like I mean, they get like there in, like, epic, two days. You know, <laughs> Sam and Frodo to Mount Doom-type quest that's, you know, like... Uh, Oh, it's just around the corner. These, all... <laughs> and yeah, it really seems like the ending just kind of rushes in, and like, whoa, okay, we're here. Um, yeah. It's, it's such a nice setup, and then... It just kind of like, it's like, it's like the, a boulder rolling down a hill. It's very slowly and effective, and then it just boom, 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 and it's over. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, like pretty much smashing into the. I, I um, will say but, that rewatching this, the scene in the beginning, you and you mentioned that when Littlefoot's mother dies, the scene mm-hmm. that I actually found to be more effective. That I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong if people found that scene touching. It, it really is. Right. But the one that got me more is when he mistakes his own shadow for his mother. Yeah. Oh yep. my god, that's a gut punch. And it, it it it's I think it's a gut punch because from from an adult perspective, like I'm not sure if it was if I got it when I was a kid, but because of the his inability to grasp the concept of dead, yeah. you know, gone, not going to see her anymore. Like even though he's he's, you know, seen seen her die essentially, he's seen her corpse. It, she's not moving, she's not waking up. Um but then even still, that, that that lack of understanding, where he sees the shadow and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. everything's okay. There she is." You know. Um, yeah. And I think that's what gets you. And that's a rough when you're old scene. enough to realize, like, you know, he's he is at that point in life. He's a baby. You know, he's he's just un, just understanding, old enough to understand this concept, and probably not old enough to understand this concept. But unfortunately, he doesn't have a choice. You know. Yeah. So. So. And you know, uh, the, the so you. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say we're we're already getting to that point where we're running out of time on this thing. I <laughs> I thought we'd have trouble, you know, talking about a land before time for there's a land before time for that long, but no, um, no, I think you know, and I'm I'm also glad we didn't have to get into watching the sequels. 
Yeah, you mean all thirteen of them? Are and there the 13? TV series? Are there? There was a, yes, there, was a there TV are 14, 14 total movies and a twelve episode TV series. Yep. Well, I know that they started when they introduced singing and dancing. I was just like, no, I'm, I'm completely. I think down. that's like right off the bat in the I second sequel. So, they yeah. become singing and yeah, it's a very different tone. I've seen a couple of them through the grapevine. Um, I don't know over the years. I don't know which ones, and I, I don't really care i'll probably see them again because i bought the giant like mega pack for thinking my kids will enjoy them someday maybe they won't and i won't have to watch them but i i <laughs> like, i hope that's the case for your um, sake i actually tried having them watch and my, my kids for anyone who doesn't know is are, are only they're going to be two in december so they're like one and a half in, uh, tried sitting them down initially to watch this movie and they were into it for about 10 minutes and then it was it was done so a little too they're not ready yet like it's a little too uh high concept still for you know one and a half year olds which is fine i thought that probably would be the case but um maybe the latter half of the film they would have liked it's a little more fast-paced a lot more stuff going on but yeah anyway um so what would you give uh, it for a grade you know i i still liked it i i was a rabid fan of it when I was a child and I wouldn't necessarily give it quite as much praise as I would have, you know, when I was six or whatever. Um, but I think I'd still give it a, let's say a B minus because I do think it's got some major problems and it's in the middle section, um, kind of a race to the climax too fast, but, um, yeah, I'll not make some awkward sexual reference there again, but anyway, um, it's before time, man, <laughs> <laughs> Video Junkyard Podcast, everyone. That's right. Um, wow. So I think I'm gonna give it. I think I'll give it a B minus. I'm gonna give it a mid C. I mean, and, and actually, that's that's an improvement from honestly when when we brought up like let's do Land Before Time. I was like, ah, shit, God, I never liked that movie. <laughs> I was like totally yeah. prepared. Like, I'm gonna rewatch this. It's gonna get a fucking and see, F. And I'm like, I like this C movie for what it is. You know, I liked this movie a whole lot as a kid, and I kind of expected. Especially if you're, like, chatting about it for a minute with you. And, like, uh, I expected this one to be one of those, like, you watch it again and you're just like, oh, no. like, And I, I didn't get... I actually... I, well, yeah, I enjoyed I think, it. I think so. it's the themes. I think the themes are kind of timeless themes, you know? Yep. And it's it's good. It's got that classical Disney family entertainment um, a presence to it. Like, that. Yeah. that's what it feels like to me as a classic Disney film. The animation is not the same. It's a little different style, but... Mm-hmm. But thematically and um, the way it plays, I think it is. It has that has that feeling. So Steven Spielberg was very successful at doing Bambi with dinosaurs because that's they, they pulled it off. And I want to throw in one more thing that I did did observe, and that is the sure. scene when the when the T Rex, the sharp tooth, is unconscious down in the in the cavern or in the crevasse, and mm-hmm. Sarah's messing with it, and she goes charging oh, yeah. at it, and it opens its eye, and that it's a slit eye like a cat eye for some reason but it, that pupil kind of dilates a little bit uh-huh. Rewatching, it i was like i wonder if when spielberg did jurassic park if he was like let's do the land before time thing but with a real looking t-rex because the the same thing in jurassic park when the kids shine the flashlight yeah. in the t-rex's eye oh i would think that would have to have been on his mind for yeah, sure i but. hope i hope so and i hope it wasn't just <laughs> like you forgot you already did this but no, yeah. it's it was a cool little shot and i kind of appreciated it i'll, I'll say i did appreciate this movie more than I did as a kid. I still don't really care for it, but it has some redeeming qualities. And I'm not saying any of that from a scientific perspective. I actually was, I feel like I'm doing pretty good and not I, doing that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, actually, no, you kept it totally out of it. I'm proud of you. So. I'm keeping it. And I'm, I'm focusing. I'm focusing. So that'll be a whole other, um, much longer episode. If we oh, ever God, do. yeah. I wouldn't even want to get into it with this one, especially because it's the, like, 1980s style of tail dragging, um, you know. So, it, totally not a modern science interpretation. Where of shall we so much, yeah. so. <laughs> so, but no, I, I liked it. I, I, I will show it to my children someday when they're a little older and can kind of grasp some of the deeper concepts. And um, yeah, I still appreciate it quite a bit. Awesome. So next week we're going to be continuing this discussion with another 80s dinosaur film, probably one that most of our audience uh, hasn't grown up. This is going to be a little bit more, you know, typical junkyard type. Yeah. You know, digging a little deeper than Land Before Time. And it is Disney. It is Disney. It is. Time. So we're, we're covering both of our bases there. So Yeah. We'll keep you guessing at which one, but yeah, keep uh, Disney Touchstone 80s dinosaur fair. So we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast on Twitter at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard.